It's the semester break, and the Thundermen are getting paid to do a little exterminating. Birds and rats and imps? Oh my! We listen to episode 8 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Alright everyone, welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello. Lauren, what'd you think of this episode? I really, I okay, I liked it. It threw me off that there was like such a big time jump. I know we had already talked about that in previous episodes. The fact that like school was out and we were somewhere else kind of threw me off a little yeah bit. i mean it's clearly like a side quest yeah okay that's a good way of putting it yeah it was a side quest yeah i enjoyed it for sure i mean it's kind of like we've had so much story that it's like oh we don't get any story anymore for like this episode that's yeah. sad <laughs> yeah that's always been my big but for thing. sure it was fun yeah you know we got some dnds dnd as they put it <laughs> <laughs> it was it was super dnd yeah yeah that's true so let's get into it we start the episode with a phenomenal little trailer for the upcoming episode, mm-hmm. done in the style of an action film. Uh, it's really funny. We have a lot of funny little bits in it from Travis. I think this is really good. Yeah, he did a great job. The film is made by Thank Travis for Travis Studios <laughs> and Thunderman LLC and is titled Mission Impossible. Uh, I love that name. Well, of course you do. Well, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal pun. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's a pun. And that's Which, you. You know, I literally the second I saw the title of this episode, I was like, A plus, Travis. You were already super into it. The boys start off and they say this episode is going to be some D&D-ass D&D, according to Travis. Griffin lets us know that he's going to roll so many perception checks, we won't even be able to handle it. Before we go in, though, it's level up time. Whoop, whoop. Fitzroy has picked up a level as a wild magic sorcerer to go by magic in an earnest way. The good, clean Christian. Yes. Yeah. He explains the mechanics, which basically amount to when casting magic, you roll an additional d20, and on a nat 1, you roll on the wild magic table. This is the official way of running wild magic. I run it way more wild than this. When I run wild magic, it is a base DC 10 plus the spells level. I am crazy with wild magic. Yeah, a lot of... uh... A lot of wild magic happens in our campaigns when PJ has a wild magic I think magic it's just sorcerer. more fun that way. Yeah. It's not very wild if it only happens on a 1 in 20 chance. That's true. Griffin goes over some of the stranger effects, such as permanently getting taller, aging 10 years, etc. My personal favorite is being unable to speak for a minute, and every time you try, pink bubbles come out of your mouth instead. The fear bulk has picked up a couple of dexterity points, and that's about it. Just a couple of dexterity points. Yeah, just a couple little dex points. Yeah. But as Travis reminds us, it's not about what you get on a level up. It's about the friends you made along the way. (laughs) Griffin reminds Justin he'll get much cooler stuff at five, which is true. Almost every class starts to get cool at three, then really pops at five. But Justin is like, well, I'm not five now. (laughs) Yeah, they're not five now. They're only level four. Argo has taken an ability score improvement and put additional points into intelligence, as the gang is pretty dumb. And while the gang might have street smarts, they're lacking in book learning, though Argo specifically has C smarts. <laughs> As the semester break took place, since none of the Thundermen left for home, Tomas recommended them for a job when the mayor of Plasto was looking for some intrepid and expendable heroes. That's rude. It is rude, but you know what? Clearly no one cares about them. They're stuck at school. <laughs> Wasn't Fitzroy the only student to transcend to from the hench person? To uh, any other track? Yes. <laughs> and he's expendable? You know what? They're all expendable. Okay, but the Umbro Broken Chain was also, like, super interested in Fitzroy, so, like... Well, Tomas doesn't know that. Yeah, it is a secret society. But you'd think that someone somewhere would interfere. Fitzroy seems <laughs> like a very interesting boy to a lot of people. I think they trust him enough. Yikes. That's dangerous. <laughs> 
The mission is, they've been building a brand new state-of-the-art hospital, but shortly before opening, it was overcome by imps. Due to the Heroic Oversight Guild guidelines, the workers can't clear out the imps, but there also aren't any licensed heroes or villains around, so the boys are getting a special contract gig via the school. Why are there no other heroes and villains around? That's what I'm wondering. I mean, like, obviously for the sake of the story, but still shady for the sake of canon. Is it back to that expendable thing? Like, all the others are too high level, like Rolandis and stuff? I don't know. Where did everybody else go? Yeah. Is there a Spring Break location we don't know about? Yeah, there's the Kingdom of Spring Break, yeah. Oh, man, that sounds like a wild ride. Yeah, no, it's it's only cool for like two weeks. The rest of the time, it's basically just an alligator-filled swamp full of murder. I mean, that they both sound fun for different reasons. (laughs) If they clear out the imps, they'll earn 100 gold that they get to keep, not put back into the school. So Travis welcomes them to Mission Imp Hospital. We already had our own reaction, but this fully gets the boys. Yeah, they really, they liked it. Well, Clint is laughing super hard, but Justin and Griffin hate it. But like, they don't. They do respect it, but like, they hate it. They hate it, but they don't hate it. They hate it like everyone hates a truly good joke. A good pun, specifically. Which is the peak of humor. Oh, well, all right. Our first disagreement of this episode. Fitzroy wants a guarantee of a no-school gold reward in writing. We get an alternate name for the film, which is Thunderman, in conjunction with Hieronymus Wiggenstaff's School for Heroism and Villainy, presents a Thunderman LLC joint mission impossible. <laughs> we establish that Fitzroy is CEO of Thunderman LLC, and the Fearbulg is CFO, but Argo still hasn't been placed in an executive role. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Yeah, poor little Argo. As they approach the hospital, they ask Argo to see if the front door is trapped. They establish it isn't, so Argo asks Fearbulg to unlock the door. No doubt the best choice is he has spent his life in a world with no locks. Fearbulg goes up and just unlocks the door with a skeleton key, solving Travis's chain lock puzzle. They did it! Fitzroy relocks the door from the inside so that nothing can get out of here alive, perhaps not even them. Ooh, oh no. Fitzroy rolls insight on the origin of the imps, and with the information from Fearbulg that Breeze Through the Willows saw demons in the forest, he is able to deduce the connection. Fitzroy is shocked at his own ability to take separate pieces of information and form them together into a new thought. The Fearbulg says this is witchcraft. <laughs> Which, I mean, for these three boys specifically, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> Which is also so dumb considering he's like one of, like, not dumb, but like it's super funny considering he's one of like the main spellcasters. What, the Fearbulg? Yeah. Yeah. This is witchcraft. Fitzroy says they should be going in with Formation Stealth Lion Alpha from the Thunderman playbook that he handed the boys, but they both kind of agree they never read it. They discuss dark vision capabilities of the group. Fitzroy can see in the dark, but only in shades of gray, which is fitting for him. The shades of gray part? Yeah, because that's mm-hmm. how he sees the world. Is it? He isn't about any absolutes. That's kind of his character. And Master Fearbulg wild shapes into a cat. Argo and Fitz are shocked by this. Argo even going so far as to ask if the Fearbulg has been the spectral cat all along, which makes no sense. Because he's always been asleep next to Argo. Yeah, and also he's seen them in the same place. Oh, that's times. true. It's not like Batman and Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Wait, what are you suggesting? Nothing. Are you suggesting nothing. that nope. Batman is nope. Bruce Nope, nothing, nothing at all. No. Nope. That's a ridiculous assumption. Why would a billionaire choose to walk around in a bat costume and beat up poor people? Yeah, that's clearly wild and insane. And God. <laughs> you know, sorry, guys. Sorry. I know Lauren just has her wild theories sometimes. And my apologies. Yeah, ignore me. <laughs> And it's also just doesn't make any sense because that cat is spectral and this is just a regular cat. So I guess sea smarts aren't that useful. What sort of cat do you think he turned into? I thought of like a big Maine Coon. Oh, 100% agree. Yeah. Okay, here for it. When he asks if they're the same cat, the fear bulk says no. And he says that this is cat racist. So, you know, hashtag Argo is over party. Hashtag cancel Argo. Oh, no. 
we will no longer be supporting Argo. We are ending our brand deal. Unfortunately, the 2020 tour of Mariah Carey Onto the Waves has been canceled due to all booking locations not wanting to be associated with this. My apologies. Wow, what a turn. Fitzroy makes the first of his promised perception checks, and we start to get more of the space. There are birds along the rafters and rats scurrying across the floor. The boys see more of the space as they move along, and Argo makes an investigation check, failing, and is attacked by one of the birds for six points of damage. Travis tells Clint he's lucky he was the one attacked, as water genasi have immunity to poison. And I was like, no, they don't. And yeah, Clint was like, don't. no, they don't. <laughs> I was so proud of Clint for, like, knowing so much about <laughs> it's true. his race. Yeah. He was like, actually, we're immune to acid. And then Travis is like, my bad. Here's a seven additional points of poison damage. Woof. <laughs> Fitzroy picks up the attacking bird with Mage Hand as the other animals appear, and we roll initiative. Argo hits a bird with his sling. Fitzroy rages, causing plant life to grow around him, then smashes the original bird causing it to destroy into Icor. Argo, who knows fully that Master Fearbulk has turned into a cat, is confused that Fitzroy is talking to a cat, as Fitz apologizes to Fearbulk for killing an animal. Which I was like, yes, you literally knew that he could talk. Uh, Fearbulk... Can druids talk when they're in wild shape? So this is <laughs> this is going to be my next point. Oh, cool. Fearbulk says he's a talking cat. Two notes here. Can't speak while you're wild shaped. Yeah. But I'll 100% give it a pass because like this is a piece of entertainment and it would be really lame if one of the characters just stopped talking wholesale. The entire time. Second note though, when they say that, Travis says a talking cat, which is a reference to the movie of the same name. Lauren, have you ever heard of this movie? Oh, very probably not. It's not popular. It's not good. But it is a movie called a talking cat, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. And it's bad. Ooh. Ooh. It's about like this cat he doesn't talk out loud by the way he just talks he just has like a voiceover like homeward bound situation yeah he talks at one point at the end of the movie but he basically brings these two families together it's like supposed to be like this real feel-good movie but it was clearly made for like 30 bucks i have not seen or heard of this film and i don't know if i'll go grab it look if you want to know more about a talking cat anyone in the audience watch the john tron video on a talking cat it is one of the funniest things you'll ever watch the rest of the animals attack, as we see they were just disguised imps. The Fearbulk goes back to being a Fearbulk, a sadly wasted wild shape. I'm so sad. That was our first wild shape. Yeah, as Justin realizes how weak cats are, and attempts to intimidate the imps by his sudden change in appearance, but fails. Argo slices another into Icor with Florence. Fitzroy suggests it might be best to keep one hostage to interrogate it, but only one, and brings his maul down on another imp. Fitzroy is attacked in return and takes 15 points of damage, 2 physical and 13 poison. And Clint jokingly asks which of them is a cleric because it's not impossible to run a game without a healer, but it is a lot harder and a lot more expensive. Oh, yes. Those uh, healing potions don't come cheap. They sure don't. It's so much more stressful, too. Oh, my God. Fearbulk finishes off the bird that Fitzroy mauled, and only one bird remains. It looks at Argo with hatred. He is the brother of the bird Argo killed, looking for vengeance. Argo slices it in twain, even though Fitzroy suggested they take one alive. (laughs) Well, listen... When someone has sworn vengeance on you, you can't just let that go. Hello, everyone. It's me, PJ, your good, good guy. Here's always to thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We've got quite the quickie of an episode for you guys this week, but it's a fun one. We have some longer ones in post, so enjoy the shorty while you can. Know exactly when those longer episodes come out by keeping up with us on social media. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talkin' Taz or by searching Talkin' Taz Podcast. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. 
A few notes from this episode. We talked about the movie A Talking Cat, and I incorrectly stated it was punctuated by a question mark, exclamation point, question mark, but it is actually punctuated by an exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. It is an important distinction, and I'm sorry that I failed you. As well, I said the cat only talks once in the whole movie, but actually, he talks to each character once, and only once. He clarifies that as soon as they hear him talk and the conversation is over, that cat can no longer talk to them again. What a weird movie. Later on in this episode, we have a pretty lengthy conversation about Moonbeam and how it would work inside of a closed space. Specifically, whether its 40-foot beam would go through a roof or ceiling. I looked this up for quite some time and I was not able to find any definitive answer. Some forums say yes, some forums say no, and there wasn't any sage advice calling it out specifically. However, in researching this, I did reread the spell description and realized Moonbeam only damages a creature at the start of their turn. So, the boys are just throwing out all the rules with this spell. But it makes for fun content though, so it's okay in my book. Speaking of which, last week we left you with a question about chips and I loved reading all of your responses. Interacting with you guys is always a blast. So I figured we could keep the trend going. This week's question is about official rules. At your table, how strict are you about the official rules? Are you more about whatever's fun in the rule of cool? A rules lawyer until the day you die? Or somewhere in between? This is for both DMs and players. So let us know! Now, back to the podcast. wonders why they'd want to interrogate them when they were just hired to exterminate. Fitzroy says he wants to find out where they come from to prevent this from happening again, which is, ironically enough, a very villainous mindset from Argo and a very heroic mindset from Fitzroy here. Where Argo just wants, you know, to, to exterminate and, and do the job that they were paid to do and Fitzroy is trying to solve the bigger issue, which is literally kind of what, like, you know, the villains are supposed to get the personal gain while the heroes are supposed to find the right solution. That's true. Maybe Fitzroy hasn't fully committed to a villain track. You know, I would think that if immediately afterwards their mindsets didn't switch again, where Fitzroy suggests burning down the hospital to get rid of the imps, and Argo reminds him that it still needs to be a usable hospital afterwards. <laughs> In between this, do we, we do have that little moment when Fitzroy casts magic. Argo, not Clint, but Argo is like, whoa, what's happening? Have you been taking private magic classes? And he's like, no, I've been taking public magic classes at the magic school we go to. <laughs> Do you think that was like Clint's way of saying, hey, let's like in-game explain that you're more magic-based as a sorcerer now? Yeah, I think it's just very like, you know, yeah, it's it's basically that. When Fitzroy does bring up the idea of burning the hospital down and Argo says they shouldn't do that because it needs to be a hospital, Fitz says they should have thought of that before they let it get all filled with imps and the like. As they move into the next room, Fitzroy grabs a surprised imp and attempts to interrogate it, but realizes none of them know Infernal. Clint tries to argue that he could mimic Infernal with the atrophied, which is just a wild thing to say. I'm... Of all the things. And I agree with their point where they're like, you know, someone can be a good actor, but that doesn't mean they could pretend to know Mandarin. <laughs> Luckily, the imp has started taunting them in common, saying he came out of their butt, which Fitz says is rude and shocking grasps him. The imp keeps taunting them and spitting raspberries at them, uh, and the fear book says he enjoys this baby and finds him funny. Then that he won't hurt him. Yes, Argo tries to attack him and misses, and the Fearbulk does not wish to hurt the baby. Fitzroy releases the imp as a peace offering, but he attacks, misses, goes invisible, and leaves the room. <laughs> Bye, imp baby. Argo grabs a lantern to help with their visibility. Fitzroy feels like all of the looting and destruction feels too purposeful to be mindless and wants to continue investigating. Argo investigates a locked safe, setting off a trap he luckily avoids, but finds nothing inside. Which, like, if you're going to trap a safe, at least put something in there. Maybe they were going to. They're not done with construction. <laughs> <laughs> we finished building the trap, but we haven't put the money in. Well, how are you going to put the money in if it's trapped? 
Ah, damn, boss, you're right. <laughs> they enter the next room, and the fearbolg takes a cabinet and pulls it down so that if there is a hidden imp, it will be trapped and hurt. Instead, he just hears the sound of glass breaking and declares the room is cleared. Fitzroy, with a successful arcana check, realizes that imps are just constructs. They don't want for anything, so they must be taking orders. He casts this guy's self, shocking Argo, who asks where he's getting all of these spells. And Fitzroy says that Festo is a fantastic tutor. They're not just party, party, party. They know their stuff. Which is a big change from Fitzroy's opinion of Festo the first time they met, where he's like, are you even a real teacher? Well, you know, Festo's had time to prove themselves. Yeah, clearly a whole semester that way. <laughs> it's true. The disguised self is used so that Fitzroy looks like a demon. He then grabs Fearbulk and Argo by the collar and pretends to be the head demon, successfully capturing their prey. Argo is really acting up the part, but Fearbulk, incapable of lying, is just standing there undisturbed. Luckily, Fitzroy is convincing enough on his own, imploring the imps, his little babies, to come suckle from his demon udders. Gross. And I was like, gross. Yeah, super gross. Gross. <laughs> Griffin rolled pretty damn high in his perception, but Travis is still having the imps roleplay as if they don't believe him. Yeah, that was wild. Like, I'm all for limited acceptance, right? Like, there's certain things you can't convince people of, but you can't ask for a roll, get a high one, and act like it didn't happen. Yeah, at that point, don't Why ask- even ask for a roll? Yeah. Luckily, they believe him just enough to get close, and he casts Thunder Wave. Which is on brand. Well, he is a Thunderman. Luckily, the Fearbulg and Argo save. Argo with a nat 20, which apparently we've now moved on to that doesn't mean anything on a save, even though previously it meant that the Fearbulg took no damage. Yeah, I, don't know. I was like, the at rules least, are inconsistent. At least take a quarter damage. Yeah, because literally with Thunderwave, the first time Fitzroy casts it at the dodgeball game, the Fearbulg rolls in at 20 and Travis says he takes no damage then. That's right. So I don't know. Inconsistent. The wave kills two imps and severely hurts two others. Argo then slices into another imp so hard that their imp grandfather feels it. He started doing some phrases when he's stabbing things. Yeah. Touche and Zutalo. <laughs> I know, I thought it was so dumb, but I loved it. I thought it was really funny. Fitzroy nat 20s on his firebolt attack, destroying the previously interrogated imp so hard that it convinces three far-off imps to reconsider their life choices. <laughs> Fitzroy says it doesn't feel great to cast a spell like firebolt, that it's not great on the bod to release fire, and I just, what an interesting thing to say. It is, yeah. Like, I'm really interested in a homebrew mechanic for magic being detrimental to you, obviously other than wild magic, even if just superficially. I don't know, I just thought it was really interesting. Where, like... The fire spells hurt your hands. Yeah. Fearbulg heals Argo, and Justin jokes that he just has this thing where when someone is hurt in battle, he wants to heal them, clearly dunking on Merle and him consistently forgetting to heal. Yeah, it is. Clinton yells that that was four arcs ago. That's so wild to think that balance was that like that long ago. I mean, it was only two arcs ago, unless you're counting all of the side, like the side potential arcs as one arc of their own. Because this is the third big story yeah what's the missing fourth arc (laughs) the missing fourth arc we shall find it fitzroy casts detect magic which not only gives him a vibe on where the imps are but also reveals that the glass breaking from the fear bulb knocking over the cabinet was actually a healing potion being destroyed yikes they acknowledge dr fraser's office which prompts clint to sing the fraser theme song i would have been disappointed if he didn't (laughs) same a flock of birds flies by the group as they move. Fitzroy misses his opportunity to talk on them, but Argo and fewer both succeed. Fitzroy does manage to grab one and shock and grasp it to death before the group moves into Dr. Fraser's office. In this room, there is a portrait of Dr. Fraser that has clearly been vandalized with charcoal drawings of horns and the like. There are various destroyed items, including potted plants and a few sleeping imps. As Fitzroy tries to pantomime to Argo to stealthily assassinate the imps, Fearbolg casts Moonbeam, catching all of them in it. And as established the first time they use Moonbeam, 
They are playing fast and loose with radius rules. They Again, super are. it should just affect one of them as it is just a five foot radius. Obviously, I yelled about this the first time. I'm not going to go too into it again. But it is it is still a violation. Yes. And they've already established that it would work. So obviously they can't go back now and be like, oh, well, it won't work now. The moonbeam successfully destroys all of them. As shape changers are especially affected by its effects, Justin also wants to clarify that Moonbeam is a 40-foot high beam, which means that this beam is going through several floors of the hospital, and Travis says somewhere, the Fearbulg's Moonbeam senses are tingling, and he feels other imps are taking half damage somewhere. Would a spell go through a floor? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you gotta think it's just a moonbeam. Like, it is ethereal moon energy. It's not really, like, ethereal moon energy stuffed by concrete and granite. But it's, I mean, listen, the moon... The moon's light is. It doesn't come through solid walls. Well, then you technically couldn't cast Moonbeam indoors ever. You could cast it within a room, like the room you're standing in. How so? You could cast, because it's the magic that you have within you. But the beam wouldn't exceed the room. Why? Because moonlight, like if you were to capture moonlight and you'd have it in a room, you'd see it in the room, but you wouldn't see it everywhere. But what would be stopping it? The walls, the doors. Not necessarily. It's ethereal moon energy. I don't necessarily think... There's like physical logic to it. So then would you allow other like other spells to transcend through walls and stuff? Well, you have to think of what the spell effect is, right? Like I wouldn't let a fireball escape a room because fire is like a containable effect. But something like radiant, like a yeah, radiant like damage. Yeah, like radiant damage theoretically could. But, uh, you know, Moonbeam is a very spe- special case. Most spells are very like just a radius. Moonbeam has a very specifically called out height. Almost no other spell does. That's true. I'm... I'm still not super into it, but like, Look, okay. that's my ruling is no other spell really calls out a height. They're just like, yeah, it's a 30 foot radius. But Moonbeam specifically is like, it goes 40 feet high. So like you could ar- you could try to argue with other spells, but like there's nothing in the spell that says it goes as high, but Moonbeam specifically does. Okay, okay. <laughs> so says DMPJ. <laughs> the boys have cleared out the imps in floor one. Apparently, the healing potions weren't all destroyed as they go back and retrieve one healing potion, some herbs, nice, <laughs> and a potion of poison resistance. Fitzroy does scold Fearbulk for destroying the only beneficial thing in his office, and the Fearbulk says he casts Moonbeam to make up for it. The episode ends as we get a stinger for Mission and Hospital 2, Unfinished Business. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you know, I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, they successfully cleared out the first floor, so there's a whole other floor of yeah. uh, imps to be had yeah we'll have to wait till next week to find out we sure will unfortunately that's all we've got for you guys this week we hope you enjoyed the episode and we hope you'll join us again next week as always i've been pj i have been lauren and we hope to see you on thursday when we are once again talking taz <laughs>